Philippians chapter 3. It's been a little while since we've been in Philippians, and so just as a way of reminder to you to kind of give you a quick overview of where we were and where we are going to be, Paul wrote this letter to the church at Philippi. Uh, this was probably Paul's most personal letter when it comes to uh, talking to the church. He was very close to them. They took care of Paul. Paul tried to take care of them. Uh, chapter 1 talks about uh, being confident in verse 6 of the work that God began in us. God will finish us through the power of his Holy Spirit. Uh, that is a blessing to me to know that my finished work does not depend upon my obedience. My finished work does not depend upon my power. But God says, what I started in you, I will finish. And, and that's a blessing. That is a confidence uh, to me. Also, this uh, chapter 2 then talks about being in Christ and finding our fellowship in Christ. And it, talk, it talks about how Jesus Christ left heaven as a, he was a king in heaven. He was God in heaven and he humbled himself and became a human being. Uh, and he lived with us, he dwelt among us, he died for us. And that if we're going to be the kind of Christ-like people we would like to be, we need to learn to be humble as well. And that was our <coughs> lesson pretty much out of chapter 2. And then he give us, gave us a couple of examples of Timothy and Epaphroditus of men who humbled themselves and became servants for the church. But then we get into chapter 3, and uh, we're going to read the first six verses this morning. We introduced chapter 3 a few weeks ago, we're going to kind of quickly review what we talked about and then take it a step further. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you, to me indeed is not grievous, but for you it is safe. Beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of the concision, for we are the circumcision which worship God in the Spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. Though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if any other man thinketh he hath whereof he might trust in the flesh, I more. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, as touching the law, a Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. But what things were gained to me those things I count loss for Christ. Paul here starts by giving us a couple of commands. And the first command that he gives us is found in verse 1. He says, finally, my brethren, rejoice. And Paul must have been a Baptist preacher because he says, finally, and then he goes on for 44 more verses. But the more I've thought about this, and since the last time we've been together, Paul doesn't know for sure whether or not he is going to ever see these Philippian brethren again. He doesn't know. So he's saying, finally, and I think it's like as I come to the end, this is what I want you to remember. Uh, my grandfather, as he was passing away of brain cancer, he, uh, he told me, he said, son, 
The last thing I want to tell you is you be faithful to the Lord. That's where your anchor is. He had something he wanted to remind me of. And so Paul here says, finally, brethren, rejoice. Above all else, rejoice. Don't we need that same advice today? Paul says, I've told you this before. He says, I'm repeating it. He says, it's not a big deal for me to repeat this, and it's a good thing for you. Because the more it's repeated, maybe we might finally get it. We're supposed to be joy-filled people. I've got news for y'all. When you get on, if you turn on the news, if you get on Facebook, you get on Twitter, you get on the different social media sites, and there's a lot of them, I don't see a whole lot of rejoicing going on, amen? Even among Christian people, we, we, we live in a chaotic time, an uncertain time, a fearful time. And, and Paul says that we need to remember as Christians to rejoice. And not only does he say rejoice, he says rejoice in the Lord. And that's the key to that phrase. That's the key for Christians to be able to rejoice, is to have the basis of our rejoicing in Jesus Christ. You know, if I rejoice in my job, as long as my job is going well, I'm going to be happy. But boy, if I get a new boss I don't like, or I get a co-worker I don't like, or, or I get laid off, or I get fired, I'm not going to be able to rejoice. If I rejoice in my health, and, and you've seen the, or myself, You've seen these people on, on Facebook or, or Instagram. All they do is paste, post selfies all the time. Here's this selfie. Here's that selfie. And, and I'm not saying everybody that does this is this way, but I think an awful lot of people are saying, look at me. Look at, look at how I look. Look how this looks. And not all the time. But let me tell you what. If we are rejoicing in our looks or our health, if you watch TV, my new favorite habit is to mute the commercials when they come on. Just as I feel like I've got power over something. Ha ha! Click! I can do that! Watch! But then I'll get distracted. The TV show will be back on two minutes before I realize it's back on. But if you watch those commercials, how many of those commercials have to do with us being young and good looking and healthy? You, pay, you may not watch that. Pay attention. But let me tell you what. If you're rejoicing in your health, or your wealth, or yourself, when your health goes south, and when the looks start to fail, because not only as we get older, older does our health, health go south, our looks go south too, literally, and start dropping and dragging. If that's where your rejoicing is, when it goes south, you're not going to have a lot to rejoice about. <coughs> If your rejoicing is in your country or your president or your party or, or whatever, when the election doesn't turn out the way you hoped it would, you're not going to be able to rejoice. Paul says, rejoice in the Lord. And he says, I tell you this over and over and over again so that you'll remember. I said this in our Sunday school class, and I really do believe this. I believe we as Christians are on the verge of a next great awakening. 
people tend to turn to the Lord when things go south. Uh, you all remember as well I, as I do, right after 9-11, the church houses were full. Uh, people were talking about church and God. Now understand, when they realized everything was all right, they, they left as fast as they came. But I am convinced there are people right now with this uncertainty and with the chaos that's going on in the world and, and whatever's happening, do y'all know the, notice the price of gas has gone up? And wherever you, you might be, it may have gone really gone up. Uh, the One day last week at Flying J, it was two fifty on there, and Flash Station across the street was two twenty five. Well, when I came home that evening, they had flip-flopped. Flash was at two fifty, and Flying J was at two twenty five. And the next morning, they were both at two twenty five. <coughs> Well, not only are gas prices going up and down, people's confidence is going up and down as well. We have an opportunity, and I really do believe this, we have an opportunity right now that we haven't seen in decades as far as being able to have an audience that might be interested in listening. They might not listen, but chances are they might. And let me tell you what is not going to attract those people. We're not going to be a good witness for the Lord if we're throwing our arms up and say, oh, it's all chaos and I don't know what's going to happen and, and this is awful and this and this and that. Where we will gain an audience is when we say, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. If people can look at us and see us rejoicing. <laughs> you remember when Paul and Silas were in prison in Acts 16? It says they were in the inner prison. That means they were chained like this to the ceiling and like this to the floor. At midnight, what were they doing? Complaining about how their arms hurt? Complaining about how their legs hurt? Complaining about... They were singing praises to God. Rejoice, he says. And once again, it is repetitive. And you know what? It's a, it's a joy to me when the Holy Spirit reveals something new to me. But you know what is just as much a joy? It's when the Holy Spirit reminds me of something that I already knew. If I tell you this morning that Christians should rejoice, how many of you have ever heard that before? Isn't most of, we've heard that, right? Doesn't it help us to be reminded to say, you know what? We should rejoice. We should be rejoiceful people. And as we leave this idea of rejoicing, this first command, remember the basis for our joy and our rejoicing is not our circumstances, but in the Lord. When you learn to rejoice in the Lord, you can rejoice no matter what your circumstances. Satan can take your health. Satan can take your job. Satan can mess up relationships. Satan can't steal your joy. You've been washed in the blood of the Lamb. You've got something to rejoice about. Amen? Amen. But secondly, in verse number 2, he says to beware or to watch out. I like the term watch out. And he says to watch out for three groups of people. And actually, it's the same, group, it's the same people. He just describes it three different ways. He says, first of all, beware... Or watch out for the dogs. Now, Paul is not talking about 
poodles and Labrador retrievers. Paul is talking about those scavenger dogs that are vicious and they hang around the garbage dump fighting each other for a piece of meat. Mean dogs. Ankle biter dogs. You ever been around those ankle biter dogs? And y'all may have a chihuahua, and if you do, I, I, I'm not saying anything bad. I'm just stating my observation, and it may be just because I haven't seen it yet, but I've yet to see a chihuahua that is sweet, gentle, tempered. <laughs> my grandmother in Missouri, when I was growing up, had a chihuahua. And I'm pretty sure every time I talked in Tennessee, that chihuahua barked. <laughs> Even though it was 350, all that chihuahua did was bark. That's not what Paul's talking about. In Paul's day, in the first century, the Jews called the Gentiles dogs. They looked at them like these old scavenger dogs. If I lived in, if Marie and I lived in first century Jerusalem, Marie might say, how was your trip to Food Saver? And I'd say, it was pretty good. I, I got some milk and I got some, uh, got some uh, eggs and I saw the Stinsons while I was there. And we said, hey, and I saw a bunch of dogs. <laughs> I wouldn't be talking about German shepherds. I'd be talking about Gentiles, them, those people. Paul says, watch out for those people. And we'll identify a little bit later who those dogs are. He says, next, he says, not only watch out for the dogs, but watch out, beware for evil workers, those that are working evil. Now, we understand what evil means. Evil is bad. And what we would, might think at first glance, Paul's talking about all those people that say, you ought to go out and drink and do drugs and party and that's not the evil Paul is talking about. It's, it's another bunch of people all together. It's the same ones that are the dogs. And then he gives a third group or a third description of these people we should watch out for. He says, beware of the concision or those of the circumcision. Now our dogs and our evil workers are identified. There were a group of people in Paul's day, group of Christian people, that were teaching, yes, we are saved in Christ. You've got to trust Jesus to be saved, but you have to be circumcised. You also have to keep the outward rituals of the old law. The emphasis had become, instead of being gods, we're supposed to be good. And there's all these things we're supposed to do. Paul is not using any, he's, he's not wanting to leave any doubt here. He wants to make sure these Philippians and us understand what he's talking about. Paul doesn't say, now these are just poor misguided Christians that you need to uh, take under your wing and teach them a little bit better and, and, and they'll do better and they can get all right. Paul says it's not the Gentiles that are dogs. It's not the Gentiles that are evil workers. 
It's these people that say you have to have something besides Jesus to be saved. And I titled today's sermon, Same Song, Different Verse. Because if you jump over to 2021, there's also groups of people today that put the emphasis on being saved in their works. Yes, you need Jesus, but you need to be a certain type of church. You need to be baptized. You, you need to be do all this, and you need to not sin, and you need to live perfect, and, and you need to do that. You know what God calls, or Paul calls that kind of salvation? He calls them dogs. He says, they're not, and they're not the poodle dogs and, and, the, and the nice lap dogs. They are the dogs that are looking to bite and grab and devour. You know why? Because anything that takes away from Jesus only is a false religion. Let me say that again. Anything that takes away from Jesus only is a false religion. Now don't get me wrong. I'm not saying we don't need to be obedient. God tells us. You need to be holy. God calls us apart to be holy. Obedience is important. But we are not obedient to be, get saved. We are not obedient to earn our salvation. We can't do it. We can't be good enough. You know what? Here's another thing you can rejoice in. You can rejoice in the fact that your salvation is not in your obedience because you can't be obedient enough. I don't know if you're like me, but I can do pretty good for a while. I'll, uh, I'll have a good day where I'm in the Lord and I'll have a good day of being in the Word and being in prayer and, and doing good things for other people. But then tomorrow, not so much. And I feel really, really bad because I let my Lord down, let my church down, let my wife down, let myself down. Aren't you glad you're obedient, your salvation's not in your obedience? Jesus Christ plus anything else equals chaos. Because who's to decide what you put with Jesus Christ? In Paul's day, it was circumcision and the old law. In our day, it may be baptism or good works. It may be social justice. It may be uh, politics. You know, Jesus plus America equals salvation. Jesus plus Republicans, Jesus plus Democrats, Jesus plus Joe Biden, Jesus plus Ronald Trump, Donald Trump. Jesus plus anything else will not get you to heaven. The question is, are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? The book of Hebrews says there's no salvation found anywhere else. It's in Jesus Christ. Jesus plus anything else equals chaos. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Amen. I've said that before and I'll say it again. Jesus plus nothing is everything. Today if you say, what did Brother Andy preach about? If all you can remember is Jesus plus nothing is everything. 
and rejoice in that. It's been a good Sunday, amen? amen. So, according to Paul, anybody who teaches anything else other than salvation by faith alone in Christ alone, they're dogs, they're evil workers, they're mutilators of the flesh, so he says we need to watch out. And that's where we stopped a few weeks ago. Paul continues with an explanation in verse 3. He says, for we are the circumcision. He says, it's not these teachers that teach circumcision. They're the dogs, evil workers. He says, we as Christ followers, we are the true circumcision. We are the true circumcision. As Christ followers, that's who has a relationship with God. And then Paul gives three identifiers or three descriptions of those who are of the true circumcision. First of all, he says in verse 3, 4, we are the circumcision which worship God in the Spirit. So we know that we're of the true circumcision. We know we're of God. We know we're a true Christian if we worship God in spirit. It's not about the outside. Did you know we can worship God in a building here in Fairview, Tennessee? And God's happy about that. We can worship. We can have fellowship. Did you know we can meet in a house in Boise, Idaho? And have fellowship with the Lord and be in the Lord and the Lord be happy with that. We could meet in a field in Africa under a tree and worship God and be in fellowship with God and God be happy with that. As a matter of fact, when you go out into most of Africa, that's the way most of the churches meet. There are very few church buildings. At the most, they may have a lean-to where they can get out of the weather a little bit. Church buildings are a Western thing. That's the way we do worship. And we call this building, this part of our building, the sanctuary. And it's a, it, we borrow it from an Old Testament term, the Holy of Holies, and the Holy Place, where that's where God was. But you know what? This building, God is not in this building, apart from the fact that God is in us, right? We are the sanctuary. God is with us. If COVID got really bad where we weren't able to come together for health reasons, if we get a transmitter and we meet out there in the parking lot, did you know God's still there? God's in our car. Did you know God can be in your car? Did you know that if you were at work, you ever go to work and listen to WayFM or have something on your, some religious music or something playing? Did you know as you're able to listen to that and, and let it, you take it inside and you have some intake there? Did you know you're worshiping God in spirit? The idea of worshiping God is in spirit is with emotion. It's not about the building. It's not about the location. Now, I'm thankful for our building. I'm tickled to death we have heat and lights and air conditioning. I'm thankful we all have a Bible. Most of us have several Bibles. I'm thankful for all that. 
But if all that was gone tomorrow, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to rejoice and I'm going to worship God. We Western folks, and I'm going to say something here, and it might, I'm not trying to make anybody mad, and I'm not sure, certainly not trying to get fired. But if I would say to you that we as American Christians need more emotion in our worship, what does that make you think? I remember when I was music minister and I was working with the choir on our Christmas cantata, we had a song that it was kind of up-tempo, had those syncopated jumping jazz rhythms and stuff in it. And we had a deacon, bless his heart, godly man, love him to death. He's been a great encourager of, of me over my years. He does my tires still to this day. But all of a sudden, I look back, and Brother Larry is like this. <laughs> and after we got done with choir rehearsal, he said, Brother Andy, I've got a problem. I said, well, what is it? I thought he was going to talk to him about his health or something. He, he said, uh, I don't believe I can sing that song and stand still. He said, I sing that song and I just want to move. And he said, I said, well, Brother Larry, if you feel like moving, move. And he said, well, I'm afraid people will think I'm Pentecostal. <laughs> and I said, Larry, I've known you for 10 years, and I promise you nobody's going to ever think you're Pentecostal. But we are so afraid to show emotion. church I grew up in, we had a, I remember growing up, we had a lady visit one Sunday, and boy, she was uh, raising her arms, and she was singing praise the Lord, hallelujah, and one of the elders went and told her, said, we don't do that here, and she said, well, I can't help it, I'm in the spirit, and he said, well, you didn't get it here. <laughs> Scripture, and we and we love the verse, everything's got to be decent and in order. And I promise you, I'm not saying we need to have a free-for-all in the church house. That's not what I'm at. Don't, don't get scared. But Scripture here tells us, Paul tells us, that those that are true Christians, those that are of the circumcision, worship God in spirit. That is our emotion. We ought to feel something when we come to church, amen? amen? We don't need to be coming to church at 11 o'clock sharp and getting out at 12 o'clock dull. We need to show them. Are you glad to be here? Have you been washed in the blood? Then rejoice. Let me tell you what. Rejoice doesn't look like this. I ought to be able to see your smiles behind your mask. Amen? You ought to be able to see mine. Those that are of the true circumcision, they worship God in spirit. Secondly, Paul says, those that are of the circumcision, they rejoice in Christ Jesus. There's that word rejoice again. The theme for Philippians, it's the letter of joy. Overall, rejoice and joy keeps coming out. We rejoice in Christ Jesus. We're joyful people. The question is, are we? Or are we miserable? And let me tell you what. If you focus on your health, 
or your bills or your husband or your wife or your kids or your problems, you're not going to be rejoicing. But when you focus on Jesus and everything Jesus has done for you in spite of yourself, everything he's done for me in spite of myself, we're going to be rejoicing. What would you do if you got checked your mail on Tuesday and you got a letter from your mortgage company? You said your mortgage has been paid in full. Would you rejoice? If your boss called you in and says, I'm doubling your salary, would you rejoice? Of course, if you retired, you don't make nothing. You double that, you still got nothing, right? But you get, it's a great illustration. So don't wreck a good illustration by facts, okay? But when you think about what Jesus has done for you, if you can't rejoice about that, you'll never be rejoiceful. We worship Jesus in spirit. To this day, I didn't use it for a revival. When I was in high school, I went to Polton, North Carolina, to a black church. And to this day, it's the most spirit-filled worship I've ever been a part of. I didn't want to leave. You know, they, they, they clapped their hands, they raised their hands, out, they, the amen, hallelujah. The preachers I was with, he, he was the preacher at our home church as well. He looked over me, he said, if you ever tell anybody I, I said this, I, I, I won't, I won't, I'll deny it. He said, but that's the most blessed week I've ever had. He said, I almost dread preaching on Sunday, because back to Sunday we were back to. <laughs> and I'm not talking about anybody's salvation. I think the folks I went to church with growing up, I believe there's a seat for them around the Lord's table. They're going to be there. But we wonder why churches aren't growing. Well, why would anybody want to come somewhere and be like this? We can do that and watch the news, amen? <laughs> Worship God in spirit. Rejoice in Jesus Christ. Then look at number three here. Have no confidence in the flesh. No confidence in our fleshly things. Now, the flesh is just another name for external privileges. Paul's going to expand on that thought in the next verse. But Paul says, I am not putting my, my confidence in my upbringing, in my natural qualities, in my gifts, in my possessions, in my traditions, or my education. Paul doesn't say, well, my good outweighs my bad. Paul says, you don't need to have confidence in the flesh. Well, how do we have confidence in the flesh? Paul gives us four ways here. Look at verse 6, or verse 5. Into verse 4 he says, if anybody else thinks you have a reason to tr trust in the flesh or have confidence in the flesh, I have even more. He says, though I might uh, circumcise, verse 5, of the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, as touching the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. Let me tell you what having confidence in the flesh is. First of all, it is trusting in our heritage. Trusting in our heritage. Paul says, if anybody else could trust in the flesh or have reason to trust in the flesh, I could. He says, 
I was circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel of the tribe of Benjamin. I am a Jew. I am of the nation of Israel. I've been circumcised. My heritage, he says, if I could have confidence in the flesh, my heritage gets me where I need to go. Well, just like Paul couldn't trust in his heritage, we can't trust in our heritage. Jesus saves more than middle class American people. We are not going to heaven. We are not saved. We do not rejoice in our heritage where we were born. You know why most of us were born in America? Did you have anything to do with it? Neither did I. We were born in America because our parents were in America. I can go all the way back to like 1700 when my great, 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 great something, grandfather, I guess, came over from Germany. Came from Germany to Virginia. I'm an American because that's where I was born here. I, I, it's, I can't take confidence in that. Jesus didn't save me because I was an American. Now don't get me wrong, I'm thankful to be American. I think America is the greatest country in the world. She's worth defending. She's worth fighting for. But my salvation has nothing whatsoever to do with my heritage. I can't have confidence in that. Because guess what? When the Bible was written, the New Testament was written, when Paul wrote this to the Philippians, the church of Philippi, Rome was the empire of the world. Israel was a slave. They were slaves to Rome. Where's Rome today? Italy's there, but the Roman Empire's gone. If you had confidence in the Roman Empire... You're in trouble. Paul says, if I had confidence being an Israelite, I'm in trouble because salvation doesn't come through Israel anymore. So salvation doesn't come through our heritage. Secondly, verse 5, he says, I'm of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as touching the law of Pharisee. Our salvation, we don't, Confidence in the flesh, we get it by trusting in our heritage. We also get it by trusting in our religion. Somebody says, well, I'm a fifth generation Baptist. Uh, when I was at Eagle Creek, we had some members there that their family helped start the church in 1886. And sometimes they let you know that. You know, my great-great-grandfather did this or did that. And while that is wonderful, our religion's not going to save us. Because the sign outside that says Old New Hope Baptist Church, that's not the reason I'm going to heaven. Amen? Amen. That's not the reason you're going. You can't have confidence in that. Because there's some folks with church signs on there in their yard that they're not saved because they've never known Jesus as their Savior. If you're trusting in your, if you're trusting in your church, to get you to heaven, you're not going to get there. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to my Father but by me. Baptist preacher asked, was door knocking one time and asked this fellow, said, uh, I, I'm the pastor at the Baptist church down the road. I want to know if you'd come to church. He says, well, I'm a Methodist. And the pastor said, well, said, uh, 
why are you a Methodist? He said, well, my mom and daddy were Methodists, my grandmama and granddaddy were Methodists, and my great-grandmama and my great-granddaddy were Methodists. And so the pastor thought, he said, well, let me ask you a question. He said, what if your mom and daddy were morons? <laughs> and your grandfather and grandmother were morons, and your great-grandmother and your great-grandfather were morons. He said, what would that make you? The guy thought, he said, I get it. He said, that'd make me a Baptist. <laughs> Y'all, we got folks out there that are trusting their religion to get them to heaven. Their mama goes to church. You'll be surprised how many inmates I talk to. Getting very serious for a minute. I'll ask them, do you have a relationship with Jesus Christ? And they'll say, well, my mom and daddy go to church. And I'll say, that's not the question I asked. The question I ask you is, do you have a relationship with Jesus Christ? Trust in your mama or your daddy's or your husband or your wife's salvation. You can't get there on their coattails. That's trusting in the flesh. And Paul says we can't trust in the flesh. Those that are of the true circumcision, true Christians, they don't trust in the flesh. Then look what he says. He says, concerning zeal, persecuting the church. He says, I'm zealous. Yes, somebody, are you involved in church? Well, I'm on fire down there at the church. You know what? I wish we could get everybody in this building on fire down at the church. But I'll say this too. If all of us were on fire down at the church, that's not going to get us to heaven. Amen? Amen. We're not saved by our zeal. One more thing. Look what he says in verse 6. Touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. Having confidence in the flesh, it's trusting in our heritage, trusting our religion, trusting our zeal. It's also trusting our obedience. I go to church every Sunday. I read my Bible every day. I pray every day. I, I help the poor. I, I help the needy. I do this. I do that. I'm obedient. And let me say, that's a wonderful thing. As Christians, we should be obedient. That should be our, what we are striving for. But we can't put confidence in our obedience. Because bottom line, day in, day out, we are not obedient. And let me tell you what, if you'll pray to the Lord, you may think you've got it all together. I prayed this prayer one time. I said, Lord... I said, show in me those things that are keeping me from being where you would like for me to be in my relationship with you. And he showed me. And it wasn't pretty. So don't pray that prayer if you don't want to know. We may think we're doing well. God knows our thoughts. God knows us on the inside and out. We can't have our confidence in the flesh. We need to be worshiping God in spirit. We need to be rejoicing in Jesus. And we need to put our confidence in Jesus Christ. That's where our joy comes from. That's where our salvation comes from. Have you lost your job? There'll be other jobs. Are you sick? Are you having a hard time with your health? Let me tell you something. 
Even if you die, you're going home. What about relationships? Has your husband gone nuts? Is your wife crazy or your kids running wherever? God's got them. Your husband might do good today. He's going to mess up again tomorrow. Your kids might get on the right track today. But you know the best prayer you can make for your husband, wife, and kids is, Lord, draw them close to you. Because confidence and joy in anything other than Jesus is not going to get you where you want to go. If you want to get to Memphis, the best way to get to Memphis is to get on I-40 West and keep going to the bridge. And you'll be slapping in the middle of Memphis. If you want to get to Jesus, or if you want to have joy, you want to have confidence, you want to have faith, the only way to find that's in Jesus. Let me ask you this morning, where is your faith and your confidence and your hope? If it's in anything besides Jesus Christ, it's useless. You say, well, what do I need to do? You need to come to Jesus. You do that by admitting you're a sinner, realizing you're a sinner. And those of us that are Christ followers, we've done, we're all sinners. We're not saying you're beyond help because you're a sinner. <coughs> person that admits they're a sinner admits they need help. Because not only are we a sinner, we also have to realize we can't save ourselves. But Jesus came from heaven, he lived a sinless life to take my sin and your sin on the cross with him. He died for me. He took my sin. It doesn't already seem right, does it? He lived perfectly and he got my sin and died. I've lived as a sinner. I get his righteousness. Isn't that a pretty good deal? That's why we sing amazing grace, amen? <laughs> Admit you're a sinner. Say, Jesus, I can't save myself but I want to be saved. Quit running from God. Run to God. And say, Lord, I believe you died for me. Lord, save me. And guess what? He will. It's not complicated. Salvation is by faith alone in Jesus alone. Trusting that you can't save yourself, but that what Jesus Christ did on the cross will save you. And that was enough. You know how I know it was enough? Because three days after Jesus died on the cross, he raised from the dead. Resurrection is God's assurance to us that he accepted Jesus' payment for sin on the cross. Because Jesus died with all of our sin. If Jesus wasn't that sacrifice, Jesus would still be in his grave this morning. And we'd all be sunk. But hallelujah, there's an empty grave in Israel. And because that grave is empty, because he lives again, you can too. And maybe you trusted Jesus at one point, you were saved, and, and maybe you got off track. The cool thing about being a Christ follower is you can always come home. The Lord leaves the light on for you better than Motel 6 does. All you got to do is say, 
Lord, I've sinned. God is going to be just like the father of the prodigal son. When you come running back to God, he's going to be right there with his arms around you. And guess what? We will too. As we sing this invitation song, we're going to sing just as I am. You know it. I know it. You don't need the songbook for it. But if you need to do business with God, if you need to establish your faith, uh, your relationship with God, by faith in Jesus Christ for the very first time. We'll help you with that. Just come forward when the when the we start singing. We'll help you with that decision. We'll talk to you about it. If you need to pray at the altar, if you need to join the church, if you need to give your life back to God, rededicate, whatever it is of the business you need to do with God. Y'all, we're getting ready for the next great awakening. I believe that with all my heart. But the only way we're going to be ready for it is if we make ourselves ready. And it starts today while we stand and sing.